This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 289 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. Gypsies in Dairyland. Please support our sponsors as they make the show possible. This week we thank Equisketch at Equisketch.com. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the Stable, it's every week. We'll bring you the news through hail or high water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. Sit on down and laugh till your poop cause it's time again for Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. This is Glenda Geek. And this is Helena B. And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show right here on the Horse Radio Network. Well, howdy, Helena. Howdy! Although we're not talking about anything from parts south. That's true. So maybe I should say hello, Helena. (laughs) Hello, Glenn. There's no no southern at all today. We're we're really going north today. We have a fun show planned and and, and a couple other things we have to talk about on the side as well. But we're going to start out today with a training tip. That is going south from Ellie O'Brien. This is She's been coming on with us once a month to do training tips with us. And she's from New Zealand. But that changes as of today because she's officially moving and they're on the airplane right now as we speak, Helena, flying to America for their big adventure. So we're going to talk to her about that and her training tip. And then coming up, we have the ladies from the Distance Riding Association of Wisconsin. They're going to talk to us about uh, distance and endurance riding in that cool, very cold, snowy state. Yeah, I know it's cold and snowy because I just flew over it. Yeah, it was, was it white. white. Yeah, there's nothing but white. <laughs> totally white. You could barely even see, like, you know, when you fly over the Midwest, you can see all the squares. Right. Like the, right. I, I don't the know fields. if they're property, the fields. you know, margins yeah. or what. Yeah, but you, you couldn't even see that. It was just white. <laughs> white. You know, I love the airplanes that are outfitted with the little thing in the seat back that you can see where you're flying over. I, I think know. that's so cool. <laughs> it's really cool. Delta yes. has those. We flew United this past trip, and I was so bummed that they didn't have them. And it was like six hours of like, where are we? And you can't check your phone. You can't GPS. I know. <laughs> I know. I love that when you can get to do that. So you're always like, you're looking at the back of the, um, you know, the, the in-flight magazines that they have that show the airline's I'm routes. Trying to guess. <laughs> And you're like, what are we Duluth? Are we somewhere over Duluth? You know, and you're like, oh, who? I don't know where we are. So then you look out the window and you're like, I think that's Salt Lake City. You know, or I think that's Lake Huron. That's white. It must be the northern part of the country somewhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then coming up later in the show, we're not done with just that. We have, we're going to be talking gypsies. We have Lee McNamara of Blarney Stone Acres on, who breeds gypsies. We're going to talk all about the gypsy horses. And then later in the show, I have a product review from a product from Noble Equine. So we have a lot to get to. But you just got back from a trip, to your first trip to San Francisco. It's my second trip to San Francisco. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. I had been there for work before, and um, this was a combo trip, and it was just fantastic. I'll tell you, horse people, (laughs) if you're looking for a weekend getaway, 
someplace that's not horsey exactly, but would appeal to horsey people, go to San Francisco. You had a blast, didn't you? I had a blast. It's uh, Honestly, I was telling you earlier before we even came on the air that if the ocean temperature wasn't as cold as it is in San Francisco, meaning it was just a little bit warmer, a little friendlier, I would move there in a minute. I really would. It'd probably be the only city that would entice me to leave the East Coast. It's fabulous. And right above San Francisco, actually, there's a lot of horse farms and things up toward wine country there. So uh, you start getting into horses right above San Francisco. You do. I mean, anywhere outside of the city is, you know, it's easy for horses to have horses. The the land there is just gorgeous. And how was the food? Oh, my God. The food was so good. They have the best little restaurants. You don't have really – you don't have franchises exactly in in San Francisco. You have, you know, a few. But um, there are a lot of independent shop owners who do a wonderful job in what they offer in terms of products. Restaurants, you know, their menus are great. And they have all price ranges. You don't don't have to have a lot of money to enjoy San Francisco. And it's a very – accessible cities by foot, you know, so you can go to, into any of the neighborhoods. They have, it's similar like to some other major cities where you have, you know, an Italian section and a um, Chinese section and um, it's just, it's multicultural and you can go any into any of these neighborhoods on foot and shop and eat to your heart's content. And the weather is usually it, always about 60 degrees. It was um, in the high 60s yep. this past week <laughs> and it was beautiful. Honestly, it's a, it's a great city. <laughs> I had nothing bad to report. Nothing. Well, that's great. I'm glad you had a good time. That's how, it yeah. was a, I bet you it was nice to get into the 60s after being in the zeros. Oh, my gosh. I was. It was like <laughs> summer to us in the zeros. Yeah, I came home and it was 12 degrees last night. <laughs> it's hard, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> my, my horse's water buckets were frozen this morning. It's hard, isn't it, when you come home to that after? Yeah. Hard, hard is a word you might use. There's I, a... I, I, <laughs> Colorful ones. (laughs) There's a reason we don't go visit. You know, we have a hard time even at Christmas and and New Year's going back to visit family in Pennsylvania because it's like we live in Florida. You don't want to go to the cold. You just get used to it down here and you just don't want to. It's like, I don't really want to go freeze. Thank you very much. No, I don't. I don't blame you. I don't blame you at all. No. Well, I'm (laughs) glad you had a good time. That sounded like fun. Yes. I had a lovely time and I bought a hat. So if for you stable scoopers who may also be Chasing a Fox fans, uh, you're going to have to tune in and go check out Chasing a Fox because we're going to be posting some hat stuff shortly. There you go. Hat I saw shop. one picture of you guys out there trying in, um, your derbies in the hat shop. So, Yes, yeah. I had, we had, the, um, I had a very Downton Abbey-esque hat on. Yes, you did, and actually. And then I, I ended up buying something, getting Spe- something that was a little... More contemporary. But. Speaking of which, I need to ask you: Are you caught up on your Downton Abbey yet? Or I've only watched two episodes of Downton Abbey in my whole life, oh, really? and I have not had a chance to watch it again. Oh, you need to do a marathon some weekend. Just get your wine out and sit and drink and watch uh, Downton Abbey all weekend. I've I've I liked both episodes, and I other people who I respect and admire like Downton Abbey. Oh, yeah, we're all caught up. We, we got caught up in this season. We just watched the uh, the season ender here. So uh, we can't wait. They don't make enough of them. They, you know, the British only do like four, five, six episodes of each series. It's like Because they understand that less is more, you know? The, <laughs> the fewer episodes you create, the better quality they are. I guess. Well, I'm not going to give any spoilers out. I'm not going to do that. 
Well, let's head off. Let's head south uh, all the way to New Zealand. With uh, I caught up earlier in the week with Ellie O'Brien because they were packing to head out, and uh, uh, we we had a little Skype time together to chat about her ch- upcoming move to England or to England to the United States. And she had a little training tip for us as well. Well, hi, Ellie, and welcome back to the Stable Scoop Show. Hi, Glenn. Thank you for having me again. Now, last time we talked about a month ago, Ellie comes on with us once a month, and we talked about a month ago, you were getting ready to move to the United States, to North Carolina, I believe. And how's that going? Really good. Um, I've been a little bit lost the last few weeks, actually, because I've had all of my horses leave, and I I can't remember the last time I haven't had a horse. So the last two weeks, I've been forced to have to pack up things <laughs> instead of being outside with horses. Oh, yeah. And every horse girl loves to have to do inside stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, that's favorite, favorite thing to do. Clean the house and uh, stay in the house. Two yes. favorite things. Yeah, so how about the horses? Did you find good homes for them all? I did. Um, I was really, really lucky that um, my own two horses, I was um, able to find great homes where uh, they use similar methods to what I do so they can carry on and they've got exciting futures ahead and all my client horses were finished off and they went back home to their um, happy owners. So that was really neat. Terrific. And you fly out when? We fly out uh, Friday evening, so we will arrive in Charlotte um, Friday evening. <laughs> right, exactly. Really <laughs> yeah, you're going that direction. It's uh, You get an extra day in your life that go on that way. Yeah, yeah back in time. <laughs> so now, um, are you excited, nervous, both? Yeah, both. Really excited, a little bit nervous, um, just because it's a brand new big adventure, but um, the exciting part far outweighs the scary bit. Well, you know, I talked to Guy McLean uh, about a week after he got here, when he came <gasps> over with the, you know, to start his business here, Neat. and I got to talk to him and spend some time with him, and he was feeling the same way. You know, it was he was, you know, he was pretty big in Australia, but nobody knew who he was here. Yeah, so, and wow. Get him now. Yeah, and you know, he took it took him a while though. It didn't happen overnight. He 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 spent a couple years really struggling here to make a name for himself and then and then he managed to he managed to get a couple of gigs and then he did the road to the horse and that's the thing that really set him off was road to the yeah. horse. Oh, that's fantastic and he really deserves it too. Yeah, and of course Road to the Horse is coming up here in a couple of weeks. Uh, yes, it'll be. Uh, that's the it has to be one of the biggest events in in horsemanship here in the United States for sure. Yeah, I'm um, actually really lucky that I'm going to be helping out with the Double Dan crew um, for that. So, oh, you're going to be, be there? Yeah, I'm well, we'll be, be there. We'll be there covering it. We'll be doing our oh, shows there. Fantastic! Well, we're we're going to have to get you on the. We're going to be doing a live show from there, so we'll have to definitely get you on. Nice. That'll be fun. It's going to be. It'll be good to meet you in person. Yes. <laughs> Us and about uh, 30,000 of our friends. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it's good to have them all in one place. <laughs> well, let's uh, talk. What are we talking about today, tip wise, training tip wise? Um, so, today I really wanted to speak about um, teaching your horse to yield. Uh, this is one thing, yield to pressure. It's one thing that um, I quite often come across with horses. And that gets sent to me. And um, 
I guess you sort of see these things and, um, you know, say you might be leading your horse along and, well, maybe they're more leading you than you're leading them or um, even seeing it in a horse that um, lifts its head up high to be bridled or halted um, or even just like subtle little things that quite often we don't pick up on, like taking a step back for our horse to walk past us and those are all little things that um, pop up where the horse is basically teaching us to yield to them. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's something that I really like to teach people to to, to train their horses um, to be able to yield to that because if you don't have it on the ground, then there's no way that you're going to have um, yielding when you're under the saddle, whether that be when you get to the stage that you're asking for a leg yield or asking for vertical flexion or just all of those little things. Can you give um, us an example, a tip or an exercise? that? How, how do you start the process? Yeah, sure thing. So um, I quite often say to people, like, no horse is too young or too old to begin teaching this. And um, even, like, your foal from the moment you start ha- handling them, you don't want to drill on it or anything, but... You want to make sure that they can move away from pressure. So teaching um, teaching a horse to yield to pressure, we want to do it with respect as well. So um, you teach that by using the pressure release concept. So that's something that's really easy for us to grasp as humans and makes perfect sense to the horse as well. Um, so adding in that respect part, I always start off as light as I possibly can um, so that could even just be a simple um, body language gesture. So, for example, if we're teaching yielding the hindquarters from the ground, um, to start off with, I might just uh, look at the hindquarters and sort of step towards them with the intention that I want the hindquarters to move. And if nothing happened from that point, which it usually won't at the start when you're teaching it, then you might um, pick up on some people like to use a carrot stick, some people like to use the end of their rope, you might like to use a flag whip or even just pressure from um, your hand. So you increase the pressure, increase the pressure, increase the pressure until you get um, the horse to, I guess, even just the slightest try in the direction of what you're wanting um, to happen. So we want the hindquarters to move away from us. So for some horses, it might be really easy for them and they might take a step straight away. For other horses, they may only just shift their weight to the opposite side. So I would release the pressure for whatever the horse gave me as long as it was in the right direction. I think one thing to be careful of is, um, especially for horses that don't really move to the, yield to that pressure so easily is not to give up too soon, to hang in there and just wait and wait and wait, wait on it until you get what you're after. So that's basically how it's taught. <laughs> and then when you when you actually, when you're on the horse now, okay, yes. and how do you translate it then when you get on the horse to take that next step? Yeah, sure thing. So... Um, one of the ways that I go about teaching the hindquarters to yield under saddle, um, first of all, I'll teach the horse lateral flexion from the ground, um, which is bringing the horse's nose or head around to the side to about 90 degrees. 
and um, so I want to have that really good from the ground and then once I'm up on, on top I'll ask for that lateral flexion, bring the horse's head around to the side, <coughs> then I'll sort of pivot my weight forward a little bit so I'm taking my body weight off the hindquarters, my leg goes back and onto their side and once again starting off really light with um, the pressure of my leg and then increasing it until I get a change. And again, you could use, um, some people like to use a dressage whip for your um, extra aid, um, or you might like to use a flag whip, just so that you can, so that you don't get a really hard leg, so you can keep that really lovely soft leg, but add, um, add in pressure with an artificial aid. Um, so as soon as the, horses mo- the horse moves its legs and moves the hindquarters across, I release the leg. But I hold the um, head in vertical uh, in lateral flexion, sorry, until it comes to a stop, softens its nose, and then I release the hand. Okay, in that order. Yeah. yeah. Does that make sense? That makes sense. <laughs> I, you know, I was thinking about some of the videos I've seen of you riding. Do you, you don't even carry a whip, do you? No, I don't often use one. Um, I mean, sometimes with a horse that um, is finding it really hard to get the concept of it, I might use a flag whip. But usually, by the time I've got into the saddle, um, I want my horse to be really soft and light and all of those things on the ground anyway. Um, so it's, you know, I quite often don't need it by the time I'm up there. You know, it's funny because we were just talking about uh, Guy McLean and off the air, and we were talking about Guy, and he's the same way. You know, he's yeah. he 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 definitely is the same way. He he'll make sure that before he even gets up there, all of that is a pretty much accomplished. Yeah. So it's kind of a anticlimactic when he gets on. You know, that's it's, right. It's, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people expect to see a, <laughs> a big show yeah. once you're out there, especially when you're starting horses, and it doesn't have to be that way at all. Well, your bones appreciate it, uh, that it's not that way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. I've already got enough sore parts. <laughs> yeah, you don't need them broken. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, thank you very much for joining us once again this month. And have a terrific flight. We're looking forward to having you here. We're going to be at Road to the Horse here in a couple of weeks, and I understand you are too. So we'll definitely yeah. see you there. That'll Yay. be a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Glenn. And where can people meet you? Who will you be with at Road to the Horse? Uh, I'm going to be with the Double Dan um, team. So I'm I'm not too sure where I'm going to be. All over the show, I'm going to be in the booth um, helping out with clinics, but... um, I'll have all their gear on, so but I, I'll post on my um, fan page as well, so people can keep up. To and where's that? Where where can people find that? Uh, so it's just on um, Ellie O'Brien Horsemanship on Facebook. Ellie O'Brien Horsemanship on Facebook. Thank yeah. you, Ellie. Thank you. Bye. Well, we're back, and we're looking forward to catching up with Ellie next time when she's actually in the United States, and, and uh, we don't have to figure out the time difference, the 18-hour time difference between us. That's a tough one. I know. <laughs> I, Five or six hours in Europe is no big deal, but yeah. yeah well, the 18 hours, cool. I kept having to go, okay, and we kept messing up our times, and it's going to be a little easier now that she's living in North Carolina. Yeah. We wish her the best of luck. Coming up next, right after this commercial from Equisketch, we are going to speak with Katie. Uh, we never asked her how to say her name. I think it's Bach Huber. 
I'm going with okay. that. I'm going with Bach <laughs> okay. Huber and Barb Gardner. She, uh, Barb is the president of the Distance Riding Association of Wisconsin. Katie is a, a listener to our shows, and we appreciate them both being on talking about distance and endurance riding in the state of Wisconsin. Well, I have Katie and Barb here right now, as we said, from the Distance Riding Association of Wisconsin, which I didn't even know existed until our listener Katie posted on one of our Facebook pages about it. And then I said, well, I got to have somebody on from there because I think that one thing you do have, Helena, in Wisconsin is a lot of place to ride. So let's find out more about that. Uh, Good morning, Katie. It's good to have you on. Appreciate you joining us. And Barb, you are the president of uh, the association, correct? Correct. All right, good. Uh, so tell tell us, Barb, tell us a little bit about the Distance Riding Association, what it is, and how it came to be. Oh, <laughs> that would have been better for Katie. She's been in it a lot longer. <laughs> um, I've been in the sport about 12 years, and um, I was brought in by a friend um, I'm not exactly familiar with how it all started. Katie, do you I know? Think, yes. Yeah. Um, in the early 1990s, we were losing distant riders, ride, rides in the state. And the group formed to pull back some of those rides to the state. And since the early 1990s, we have offered two to four rides every year sponsored by DRAW. And in doing that, we have ride managers who are sponsored by us, and then we have volunteers who help. So we just keep the sport alive in the state. Has it increased the number of people involved? It has increased it, and it's also um, helped with education. And, you know, we do a lot of other things than just sponsor rides. Now, is are these sanctioned rides, or you know, sanctioned? Let me start that over. Are these sanctioned endurance rides, or are some of them just for fun to get people involved? Are you are you really trying to get to the grassroots level so that people at least give it a try? Well, if you there, think of you think of AARC as a big umbrella, right? And under AARC, there are different regional groups, and we would be a smaller group in the Umecra in the upper Midwest region. So we run all sanctioned rides. Sanctioned and that's the American Endurance uh, Ride Conference. And AERC, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Aren't you impressed I knew that, Helena? <laughs> no, because you probably Google <laughs> it. Talk, talk to Karen a lot. Yeah, we have Karen on the show a lot. So <laughs> yeah. <Karen's> yeah. <laughs> that's the only reason I knew. <laughs> Now, you know, what what appeals, let's start let's ask you Barb, what appeals to you about the about endurance riding and about distance riding? Um <clears throat> excuse me, part of what I really like is the care and care given to the horse. Um we have vet checks that we go through. The the horse has to be fit to continue. Um so there's metabolics that they check and lameness. Um, the camaraderie of the riders, it's, even though you're competing against each other, everyone seems more willing to help you out, to give you tips on how to make things a little better. And the, the main thing is spending time and, and miles riding your horse. Time and miles. Yeah. That's, 
that's kind of across the board, but absolutely necessary when you're doing distance riding. So, so there's a, a much greater commitment, um, a, a, an emotional and an intellectual investment in a partnership. I guess when you're going as far as you do with your equine partner, but you know, it's also, I guess when you push the envelope the way you do in distance riding, you do have something in common with these other riders, which breeds this, um, this other partnership, like you said, with your, you're, you're competing against them, but really what, what draws you together is greater than that, which divides you. Definitely. You know, you're like the, I don't want to call it the perils. I don't want to say that that's a bad word, but the challenges of riding such far distances and such intense terrain. I mean, in Wisconsin, do you have the same kind of terrain challenges that you do that like they say in, you know, in California, the mountains of California or, you know, I'm, when I always think endurance riding or distance riding, I just, I think, you know, kind of extreme terrain. What's the terrain like in Wisconsin? Pretty. Um, we have rolling hills Um, a lot of the areas we are two of the areas we ride in are on kettle moraines which means there's rock um, but it's like little little rocks like softball size rocks that's not a very good description (laughs) um I was going to say, for, for us in Florida, that would be huge boulders. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, it, of course, we have a lot more woods that we ride through than, like, a lot of areas. You know, I, I believe that out west they are on a lot of open Yeah, they, land. they do a lot of desert kind of uh, open yeah. riding, yeah. And we have yeah. a lot so, of wooded areas. So it's not necessarily the, um, the terrain that becomes the challenge, but the distance, True. Well, some of both. Um, a little bit of a challenge because our horses, you know, be based on what they are used to, some of the places do have some hills and the rocks, but um, it's not like the mountains, like some of the rides might be at, or the flat desert, like some of them. Um, so, yes, I, I agree that the distance is, is the, the main challenge. But there are, are things that each each area, you know, it's what your, your horse is used to. Well, we I don't see it as a challenge. Like some of the other endurance events, I don't say even events, but well, what I know of being the layperson in distance riding and endurance riding, it, it seemed intimidating. Um, so even the word endurance versus distance, there's, I, I feel a difference. And I'm wondering why you make that distinction for distance riding association. Because we also include um, competitive distance riding um, and not just endurance. So so that's why we call our distance. What's What's the the difference? The the endurance rides are a race. Um, The competitive rides are over a set trail and they tell you how long it's going to take you. Uh, so it's more and, of an optimum time? Yes. It, okay. um, on an average, um, 25 miles, they will say, uh, on an average, will take you about four hours. Okay. So you either need to speed up or slow down based on the terrain of where you can do your time to come in. And you only have a five-minute window each direction of your, your given time to not lose points. 
So if you're too, so if you're too fast, you stop and eat lunch on your way, and if you're too slow, you skip lunch. It always right. comes down to lunch with you. It always comes down to lunch. This is why you drive, it's so that you can carry. That's more right. Lunch, See, isn't that's it? why I drive. I can carry the picnic basket on the back. That's right. Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay, so it's it's that a little less sense. competitive, or is that not a good? description i you know what it doesn't matter i want to do it <laughs> i want to do it in wisconsin well, let's, because let's... i'm looking at pictures now of wisconsin of course i had to look up a kettle moraine and i'm like oh that looks inviting so now i want to go to wisconsin and do I, some know, I had no ride. idea what one of those was either so now tell me you know how if somebody wants to get involved and you know uh katie i know you listen to when karen's on and we do endurance day on horses in the morning what but if somebody wants to get involved what do you tell them you know, no matter what breed of horse they have or whatever, what's your advice? What do you tell them to, how do they get started? What's the first step? Because a lot of people are intimidated like Alina and it sounds daunting. So what do you tell them to do first? Come to a ride and help. Volunteer. Okay. Come and volunteer, see what it's about and then ride your horse. I mean, ride it at home. That's basically what it is. You've got to put the time in on the horse. We have two clinics well, we don't have two clinics. We have a clinic once a year for people that are interested in the sport. And one of them is one year it's sponsored by Draw, and the next year it's sponsored by the Appaloosa Distant Riders. So <laughs> that just shows all, all breeds. You just got Helena's attention. Sure <laughs> did. <laughs> she owns the Appaloosa, so you all just right. got That's her. what I ride. Oh, is it? That's what I ride. Awesome. Oh, wow. So it's not all Arabs. No, no. We've got Pasofinos and Morgans and all kinds. Icelandics. <laughs> Hackney ponies. <laughs> well, we have ponies. Have- <laughs> now, do you, do you, a lot of places uh, are starting up distance driving groups as well. Do you have any drivers in your group? Yes. They, well, they have their own group, but they come to our rides and we sponsor um, drives also. Oh wow, cool. I gotta find one of those. When right. Glenn, could you like could could do you and Jen could could Jen go on, you know, mounted and you drive? Like can you guys go out together? I think they're separate rides and drives, right? Yeah, you would not be able to compete very well that way. No. <laughs> no, 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 not competing. I was Glenn, I was asking if you and Jennifer could oh, yeah. do that. Yeah. Definitely. All right, so you, so you might be able time. to at least train together, yes. and then you could, so you Except could go and... The, yeah, the big difference is that, you know, the terrain for the carts has to be a little better than the terrain for, for the riders, and I, I think that's where the right, big difference true. comes in, right? That's true. Right, ladies? Yeah. Yeah. But I think it sounds like a whole drive. lot of fun. And see, I can carry my alcohol and my lunch, and I'm good. <laughs> I would disagree with that first statement. You cannot carry your alcohol. Oh, I can, but nobody has to know what's in that picnic basket on the head no, to the back. You, you can't hold it. <laughs> I'd get so kicked out. <laughs> you wouldn't find your way back to camp. That's yes. <laughs> There's always something with you. How many members are in the group up there in Wisconsin? That's a good question. 40, I guess. 40. And, you know, it's a pretty big state. Uh, you, you have to travel and camp. You know, one of the things that's, that sounds daunting to Jennifer and I when Karen talks about going on her, you know, 50, 100-mile rides is the camping part because, you know, most of you have to camp. And I imagine in Wisconsin it's kind of the same way because it's a fairly large state. Oh, Correct. Yeah. 
Yeah. We definitely can't. I don't know, Helena. You know, without the running water in the shower, I'm not sure about the whole... Well, you could find running water. They have streams and stuff there. Well, <laughs> well actually, one of our campgrounds has a, has a shower building oh, and has see? electricity. So I'd be good yep. for one ride a year at that campground. <laughs> All you need, just Glenn, no, you need a stream and solar power, okay? The uh, sun <laughs> and a stream, and you're good to go. Hey, guys, what do you do this time of year? Because there's a little snow up there in Wisconsin right now. And a lot of ice. Yeah. What do we so, do now? Yeah, Wish do you that it was warmer. <laughs> <laughs> Look at pictures. <laughs> yes. Pictures well, you plan well, your ride season. You start thinking of what you could buy that you don't have. <laughs> you shop. All of winter <laughs> is for shopping. We do that in New England, too. We do that in New England. <laughs> when, do you, when can you actually start getting on and legging up your horses? That really depends on the weather. Yeah. Um, well, in Wisconsin, is it like June till the snow melts? Or? <laughs> God, usually, usually, I would say mid-February to the very beginning of March, uh, we're usually able to at least get out and start being on them. Hey, Barb, not this year. <laughs> no, not this year. I think it might be May. <laughs> Do you? Are you guys having an exceptionally snowy, icy winter? Exceptionally cold. Yeah. Um, We've had we've had our fair share of snow, but it's been exceptionally cold, mm. and it doesn't go away. It just keeps no. coming back. Yeah, that's that's a tough winter when it it. Yeah, we've only had you know six inches here and there, four inches here and there, but because of the cold here on the east coast, it sticks around. So it, it really does feel like winter for a lot longer. Well, and I hate to say it, but there's another storm coming across. So, oh, uh, shut up, <laughs> The next uh, four or five days. Well, <sighs> ladies, it's been fun. Thank you uh, so much for being on the show with us today. Give out the website in case any of our Wisconsin listeners want to look into it. It's, I don't know what it is, Barb. <laughs> I can give it. It's draw, <laughs> D-R-A-W. Uh, it's actually drawiswisconsin.com is uh, <laughs> how it spells out, drawisconsin.com. And we'll put a link to that in our show notes and on our Facebook page as well. And we hope we can get you up a little bit in membership. And, you know, I, I would say it's like anything else. You know, you just got to try it. You, you're interested. Jennifer's been interested to do it and hasn't done anything about it. And I think she's finally going to go volunteer and do that step. So, you know, you got you to gotta do it one step at a time, you know. Great. All right. That's right. Well, thanks, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Glenn the Geek here. The life of horse person is hard enough, and we all hate doing the required paperwork, and unfortunately, many of us never get around to it, and it just piles up on our desk. That is about to change thanks to the Equisketch Records app for your iPhone or iPad. My wife and I use it to track our horses, and we absolutely love this thing. Equisketch Records is the most thorough and complete equestrian records app on the market today. We love this app because you can track your farrier work, your dental, your Coggins, medicines, worming, and so much more. And you can get reminders on your device when all of these things are due. You'll never forget a worming or shots or farrier visit again. But it not only tracks your horse, you can also manage your horse shows, including individual events. You can manage riders, including lessons and memberships, and so much more. 
and you can sync it between your iPhone and your iPad, and all of this for the price of a couple of cups of coffee from Starbucks. Search for EquiSketch Records in the iOS App Store or go to EquiSketch.com. That's E-Q-U-I-S-K-E-T-C-H.com. EquiSketch.com. Up next, we have Lise McNamara from Blarney Stone Acres, and um, that's a 25-acre farm in the wine country of Missouri, if I'm saying that right. Um, Lise is no stranger to horses. She first got on a horse when she was a child, but she didn't take it up seriously until she was about 37, and um, had gone through a whole bunch of different breeds, and of course enjoys horses, enjoyed them, um, but she says that she had been bitten and kicked more than her fair share, thrown repeatedly, <laughs> cracked a couple ribs, you know. So I guess after a couple of painful experiences, the idea of putting her young daughter on a horse became a little intimidating. So she was just about ready to give up on the sport of riding until she got a, her very first gypsy horse. Her husband got him, got the horse for her. And after that, she was hooked. You know, her, their intelligence, their gentle disposition and their, their beauty really rekindled in her a deep and passionate love of riding. So she's going to talk to us today about the gypsy horses. Hi, Lisa. Welcome to the show. Hi, it's great to be here. You know, I love, love, love gypsies. And uh, when I found your place, and, and with a name like Blarney Stone Acres, how could we not talk to you? And, you know, it, and, and a name like Blarney Stone Acres, and you have gypsies, I had, we had to get you on. Tell us, you know, how, how you, how'd you get started with gypsies? Well, I have to tell you, the thing about the gypsy cob is that they are like every little girl's fantasy. So I think that women just love this breed because they're pretty. Yeah. I mean, they're just, they attract you because they're just so fanciful and so pretty. Every but little then, girl's fantasy till they have to take care of the mane and tail once. <laughs> well, but even as a grown-up, when your kids are gone, I have a lot of older clientele. I mean, they want that little pony of their dreams. Mm-hmm. And the gypsy horse gives it to them. It is a pretty animal. I, I'm attracted to them for that very reason. Although I like their body, I like their conformation as well. They look comfortable to ride. Are they? They are like riding a big old sofa. In fact, one of the things that's great is they come in a small size, and it's just so nice to hop on them bareback and go. Mm. See how they're, now how what, broad. How t- how typically how tall do they get? Well, they actually range. Um, the average range is probably about 14 hands to about 15, two at the top. Okay. And then, of course, you've got some variations. And the gypsies overseas are trying to create a teeny tiny one. And they're going down as I've seen some 11 hand stallions out there. Really? Are wow. just adorable. Oh, that'd be fun to drive. That'd be cute. Uh, that'd be fun to drive. Well, they're great driving breeds. Yeah. I mean, that's what they do is they drive. Mm, I see a pair in your future, Glenn. <laughs> see, <laughs> it's that in. whole mane and tail thing. I'm not sure. <laughs> that looks like work to me, but I but, absolutely love how they look. I'm a draft horse guy. I love ponies and draft horses. And, and really, a gypsy cob is a pony draft horse. Uh, sort of. Yeah. Uh, people are kind of mistaken. They really are a cob because they brought a lot of pony element into it into the 60s and brought the size cap. Uh, uh, originally, uh. it was a mixed draft breed, mm-hmm. but you're talking, you know, decades and decades ago. And even at that point, it was only a partial draft. Because you got to remember that 
the gypsies were a moving community, and they really needed to basically get their hands on the best of whatever they could. And sometimes they weren't that picky. So these were really, the gypsies derived, uh, you know, as I understand it, they were derived from, from the the wandering people. And they they were crossbred and ended up kind of with this, what we know as the gypsy today. Did they really like the flash? Did they like the mane and the tail and the flash of the horses? And they still do. And a lot of gypsy men won't even keep a gelding because they want that hype and that flash of the stallion. And that's what they want to take out there. And that's what they want driving. And because of the disposition, they can. Huh. I didn't realize that. Now, were they... And I don't know if you realize, the other thing is that originally they were a solid breed. And when the government came in in the war, I think in 1914, 1918 war, they confiscated everything from Europe and U.S. and everything. And that's when they actually started breeding them as black and white. Oh. So they were, they were solid before that? Yes. And in fact, a lot of men, they keep the solid horses in their herds to keep the color in the herds. Hmm. So is that recessive? How's that work? I'm not a color expert, but I know that it's, I I find personally in my breeding program that a lot of real horse people like the solids anyway. So for me, it's an advantage to have solids in my program. I like them. I think no matter what, if you have that confirmation and you have that attitude and you have that hair and this horse can do just about anything, I mean, they're just show me, you know, they're just, they're just, I'm in love with them. I just love them. (laughs) Well, we can tell. Now, what <laughs> what do you guys do with them? You breed, but uh, you know what disciplines have your the horses that you have bred? Where have they ended up? We have done everything. We actually were part of the World Equestrian Games, part of the team that showed the horses there. We did a demo there for sixteen days a couple of years ago, and we had one of each. We had one western, we had one driving, we had one doing saddle seat, we had dressage. We had jumping, uh, we had in hand. Did I miss anything? I, I mean, I think we we did it all there. <laughs> did huh. I miss anything? <laughs> well, and, and normally, I mean, I'm a breeding facility, but I do have people show them. I mean, we do expos and the equine affair. Um, I've got a horse that's competed in dressage. We've done Western. We've done work with therapeutic work. We do a lot of, we do a little bit of everything. I mean, it's a very versatile breed. When you do breed for, obviously you do breed for color and and type, how do you work on disposition? Um, Actually, I don't breed for color and type. Okay. I breed for confirmation. And disposition really is part of the horse. Um, it's a big part of it. Okay. What happened was that this their breeding sort of became a type and then became a breed. So the better quality horse that you have, the more consistency you're going to have in your breeding program. And the hair and the temperament goes with that. I mean, they go hand in hand. So now, if you don't have temperament, you really don't want this horse. This horse needs to be gelded. The gypsies themselves would literally get rid of them. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, and, and often, honestly, I find this in every breed, and I'm sure you guys too, a lot of times, it's not really the horse, it's the handler. Every time we, we handle a horse, we teach them something. So often when you hear about bad dispositions or bad stallions, it's really not the horse's fault. Most often, it's the lack of uh, education on the handler's part. 
Debbie, who's host of our horsemanship radio show, uh, Monty Roberts' daughter, is just now clapping hearing this. Um, <laughs> she hearing you say that. The uh, <laughs> now one of the things I found too, and uh, talking to uh, gypsy people who own gypsies, is that because they were used for working, they also were used for plowing and for doing you know uh, all of the manual labor that needed to be done, pulling carts and all that stuff. Is that when you put them in saddle or when you put them in harness and you get those blinkers on, they are ready to work and they want to work. They like to work. Is that true? Um, I I think that's true to an extent, but I think that's often where we get into trouble because we think a horse is trained, and because of their great temperament, they're not necessarily trained. And unfortunately, I think that's where accidents happen. I mean, as a horse person, I believe that, but I do believe that this breed has less of a flight instinct, more of a human uh, relationship. Uh, that and then other breeds have, and I think that they're just better equipped and quieter to start with. But I I don't like the fact that they're often referred to as golden retrievers with hooves because at the end of the day they're a horse and right. they're basic horsemanship techniques that you need to teach every horse. And I just don't believe that people should get in and go. I think the time spent on any horse, dog, cat, horse. Children, <laughs> you know, I mean, those yeah. are basic of things that we have to do. And I, I just think because of the breed being so quiet and being so personable that we are going to run into problems. And, and they kind of look like and pets instead of horses. Horse. They kind of remind you more of a pet instead of a horse, like we think of our horses. You look at and, them and you go, they look like a big stuffed animal, you know? it's like. <laughs> well, and that's where we get into trouble. Yeah. because I can see because that. They are, they, because they're an excellent breed and they're very quiet and they're very versatile, we have a lot of amateurs being able to get into the horse of their dreams. And... I, I try as a, a, you know, as a breeder and seller to try and make sure that all my clients have somebody to work with them because they do tend to treat them because they, they like to follow their humans and they're very, very smart and they're very, very curious. So if you wave a plastic bag in front of them, they're more likely to run to you than run away from you. And again, that's why I said, you know, they're just a great breed for everybody, but you have to be careful because they are so smart and they are so easy to handle. Helena, you would be the flashiest one in the hunt field next year. Well, you know, what's funny is, um, you know, after I have an Appy who is quite round in, in all the good ways. It is like riding a sofa. He's very comfortable and he's small. He's 15 too. I, I say small, but he's the perfect size for me. And I've had my 11 year old featherweight daughter on him and my six foot tall boyfriend on him. And he just, he takes up any rider beautifully and I can see a gypsy horse doing the same thing so <laughs> my re- really the only obstacle to me having a gypsy horse in my barn is I need some good advice on how you take care of those feathers because really it's all about the feathers <laughs> to yeah, me. how do you guys keep actually, I'm looking at yours though easier than you think oh, okay well, tell uh, us. So what's your tip yeah, like, what, what's your, what's, no like seriously they're yeah. gorgeous horses a little you know cowboy magic green spot remover for those big white the white areas but I wouldn't I would be so intimidated by how to keep you know man main tail and feathers looking like they should look for a horse like this okay well first of all unless you're going to go into the show world you're you're going to overdo it I believe in letting a horse be a horse I use basic uh you know, like baby oil, 
and spray it on them. I don't do cowboy magic and all that. I'm sorry. It's wonderful product, but I have a herd of horses. So we go through with mineral oil or baby oil, and we just maintain them and keep them clean. If we go out in public, you got to wash them a lot more before you go out. But overall, I mean, I let them be a horse. And, you know, it, it, the hair is longer, but it doesn't change um, from having a hair on any other breed. It's just that you kind of have more of it, so you make longer brush strokes. Uh, you know, the biggest thing is scratches is something that we deal with in the breed. Yeah, yeah. Then we add yeah. sulfur. You know, then we go into what the Clydesdales and the Shires do is you add a sulfur mineral oil, which is like your MTG. Um, you know, some of the products that they make uh, on the market, I mean, Cowboy Magic is magic. I mean, so it really depends on, you know, are you going to be meticulous? You're going to, like my horses, this breed lives outside. They love to be outside. We don't blanket. We don't chew them. They live outside 24 hours a day. We bring them in stalls because we want them to be in stalls. We go to shows. We maintain them. But it's really not that bad. When you wash a horse and you use a good shampoo, I mean, they get sparkly white just like any other kind of horse. They're really not that different. You just have more hair. You know, it's a longer amount of hair. But it's not that hard to care for. Okay. See? So size is not an obstacle for me. Feathers are not an <laughs> obstacle for me. No, what and if you order them, I'm, I'm just looking. At, <laughs> I'm just looking at okay. horse.com or equine.com at all the gypsies for sale. One thing that might be a little obstacle um, is the one I'm particularly looking at that I really liked on here is is a little out of my price range. So. I was going to say now they're all beautiful <laughs> and they're they're. Versatile. This one actually comes with the cart and the Zilco harness to go with it. So I'm um, mm. yeah. Well, the thing, the thing about the breed is they are easy to train, and they the younger they are, the more affordable they are. But the great thing about that is that they're a strong, healthy breed, and you can bond with them. And if you do all the work with you, them, they trust you, and they will do anything for you. So that's a, a whole different type of advantage. And uh, often people will work with you. I mean, we love this breed, and we want people to have it. We want to see it out in public. So often these prices are really just sidelines, and the numbers will drop if you find somebody reputable to work with you. And they're looking for good owners as well. You know, I think with sometimes yeah, looking, you can... Yeah, look for can, somebody to represent the breed well. It, yeah. exactly. exactly. I mean, yeah. if you know that somebody's going to take your horse and put it out in public, that's worth a lot more, and very often that price will drop. So... Those are really just guidelines. But I want to go back to the size for a minute, if I can. Yeah. yeah. Um, you were talking about the size, and because it is so broad, people come into my farm, and they have this thought that they need this, like, for instance, my daughter is in the jumping world, and they need this huge, huge horse. And they get on a 15-hand gypsy horse, and they don't realize how big a 15-hand gypsy horse is because they are so broad. They take up so much leg. And people actually wind up walking out of my facility with a much smaller horse than I thought they wanted when they went in. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Not to put off, because a, a lot of horse people like a bigger horse, and they think of this as a pony, and they don't realize how personal it is in size capability of what it will do. And actually, that's starting to change now. We've talked to a lot of people from all different disciplines who are starting, the, the size of the horse is starting to come back down. Yeah. 
Yes. In, in general, even in jumpers and hunters and everywhere, it's starting to come back down. And I think what we're going to see in the next five years is we're going to see, you know, horses instead of having to have that 17 and a half hand horse, you know, a 16 hand horse is going to be perfect. And, and I, you know, I, I kind of think that that's the way it's going. At least I hope it is because there's... It's, you know, Glenn... Well, the- and one thing, the gypsies come in pony size, which is really nice for the older people and mm. for the driving people. Because it's a lot... And for the know, five foot two people. <laughs> yeah, for five foot two and three quarters, horse. if you don't mind. All those dwarfs out there. <laughs> they will... All those I mini feel- people. I fox hunt, and um, you know, there's this trend for big beasts out in out in the field, out hunting. Um, and the thing is, is when you're out, or even just cross country, if you're venting, um, you know, if something goes wrong, it goes wrong in a big way when you have a bigger horse. So it's like if you don't need, and I mean, like in a big way, sometimes they're harder on their bodies if they trip or if something happens. It's just a lot more horse to manage when it does happen. Well, and it's certainly a higher fall from a 16-hand horse than a 14-2-hand horse. That's for sure. When you get older, that is and, a disadvantage. And there is a mental um, disadvantage, too, when you have a bigger horse. You might not realize it, but it does kind of sit in your subconscious. And um, at least for, you know, us overanalyzing adult riders. <laughs> but well, um, and for kids, there's the, too. There's you know, they're less intimidating for a child to be on a smaller horse and something that's safer, you know, Ex- I mean, yep. just has a better brain. Hey, I drive exactly. a 13-hand pony. I, I get it. <laughs> and they put me on ponies all the time. That's how I learned to hunt on the ponies. It was my first hunter pace was on a pony. They're they're just they're great confidence builders. And so you're out there and you have well, fun. Well, it's nothing like jumping on in the middle of the winter and just being too lazy for a saddle and, and having your horse keep you warm and just hopping on and going for a little ride bareback. Well, Lise, what? Where can people go see pictures of uh, of all of your critters? And I know on your website also you have a for sale section, so they can because I was looking at that earlier. So can yep. you can you tell and everybody? And we're on that, Facebook, of course. Okay. You know, Facebook. What's we're, the website? We're there. Uh, the website is floridastoneacres.com. Okay. And cool. we have uh, we're on Facebook under my name, Lise McNamara, and under the you know uh, Gypsy Florida Stone Acres as well, and. We have tons and tons of gypsy people out there. If you go on Facebook, I mean, you just get all kinds of people and pictures. And, you know, horse people are are just, we all love our horses no matter what breed they are. And Facebook has become a great way to just see pictures of everything you can see. And, of course, go to expos and go to horse shows because you're going to start seeing these horses out there. Very good. BlarneyStoneAcres.com. Now it's time for our Tack and Habit segment. Tack and Habit segment is sponsored by Sparkle and Boom. You can find them online at sparkleandboom.com, a new media marketing company for small businesses of all kinds with an expertise in the equestrian industry. Sparkleandboom.com. Today's product I have for you is a product that I tested out and I've been using it since we went to Ada, what, about a month ago. When we were at the American Equestrian Trade Association there in Philadelphia, it was, what, uh, about four degrees out, literally. Oh, yeah. it, was a bit, it was really cold. Ick. And I had forgotten my hat and gloves because I'm from Florida and I'm stupid that way. So 
I went I went over to Noble Equine, our friends over there, and I said, do you have any gloves I could have? And, you know, they were kind enough to let me have a pair of gloves. And then since then, I've been using them. And what they are are the Ranch Tough Gloves. That's what they're called. Noble, Actually, it's Noble Outfitters now. I'm sorry right. they changed their name. It's Noble Outfitters now. Noble Outfitters Ranch Tough Glove. And these are, are really tough gloves. They're probably the toughest gloves I've ever used. I would say that they're not particularly warm. They're not like super winter gloves. But if you're looking for a glove to work outside in, whether you're doing fences or hay or you know putting up hay or whatever you're doing outside, these are the gloves. The they have the the they have the padded and reinforced palm and knuckles, and they're made of uh, goatskin leather, so they're soft. And, and one of the things that is really cool about them is they are Kevlar reinforced. So like between the thumbs and the finger and all of that stuff is Kevlar reinforced, so you're not going to cut it. And I've used them outside now for a bunch of things, and everything you would have you would use your your work gloves for you use these for however you know how when you go buy the work gloves at Lowe's the yeah. contractors use they're big and baggy yep and you know they're just clunky you know i don't know other word to use other than clunky uh, these are fitted to your hands so they're not clunky and that is the huge difference that i saw plus they have something that's really cool in the back I haven't had this problem yet because it hasn't been that hard in Florida, but they have a, a piece of terry cloth that's sewn into the back of your glove. So when you wipe, when you're sweating, you're not wiping on the rough, the rough part of the glove. You're wiping on something that actually absorbs the sweat. It's kind of a neat concept for a, wow. for a work glove. Yeah. I, Can I, I wipe my runny nose on it too? You could if you wanted to, yes. Uh, a Kleenex substitute. I highly recommend washing them occasionally if you do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's but a brilliant you, idea no seriously you know you know. wipe your nose or you wipe your brow i mean come on that's we all do it i know Ever. it's kind of a neat idea i, <laughs> it's a I great agree idea. this the, is one of the things you know um i had a chance to spend some time with the folks at noble outfitters when we were at ada and um they, that's what really struck me was the innovation in their products they they actually think about what they make before they design it <laughs> Now, you know, I I like I couldn't really find anything I didn't like about these. They fit my hand. I have big hands, so that's sometimes tough. Yep. So you, I ended up, you know, because nobody made work gloves in the equestrian world for people like me, I would end up going to Lowe's and buying the big baggy ones. Uh, which when you're trying to grab a hay bale, those fingers are big and clunky, and it just isn't conducive to, to working efficiently. With this, I noticed they just totally are. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to put up hay anymore without wearing these gloves. And, and you know, I can see because, you know, they're not really winter gloves. So, you know, I wouldn't say you get a maximum amount of, of winter coverage from them. But also in the summertime, they're not going to be too hot either. So that's kind of nice. You know, as being work gloves, you want ones that are going to be able to do both. And, yes. you know, all the seasons. And these will do that. The one thing I found, if I had a negative to say about them, they, they, they have the elastic around the wrist, and then they have about an inch after that. You know how a lot of gloves have, have the tight around the wrist, and then there's an inch after that that, that kind of is flabby, <laughs> flappy. Mm -hmm. I don't know the reason for that, but I found that I was getting hay and stuff stuck in that little part. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure there's a reason they design them this way because they have other gloves that are designed that doesn't have that flappy part. And I'm sure there's a reason for it. I, I don't know what it is. I just found that to be a little, little annoying. That's all. Um, but Actually, that yes. I can see it. it's a catch-all for 
chat. Yeah. And I am yeah. sure they're going to tell me after they hear this that there's a reason for that, and I'd be happy to know what it is. Um, but I just found that to be a little a little bit annoying, but not enough that I would say I can't use these gloves. You know, right. Right. I was just one of the little annoyances. Other than that, I didn't have any because I, you know, I've worked them. I've, you know, they are tough too because they're Kevlar reinforced. So yeah. Um, they, they are really a tough glove. I really liked them. And their price is right. I'm um, taking a look right now to see here what they were. They have a lot of different gloves, by the way. Uh, riding gloves, all different kinds of work gloves. Uh, just- I know. I want to get me some of that. In fact... They, <laughs> I'm such a glove snob, and and this comes from, this comes from being like the princess in the pea, you know. To when when you find a pair of gloves that like fit you nicely, they usually come in black or white, right? You know, or brown. But they have a really um. Well, sorry, you know, I'm going off on a tangent here. They're this is their the ranch they're, tough glove, yeah. They're right? thirty three dollars, by the way. Thirty three dollars. Okay, yep. so but they have this something called the perfect fit glove, which I did try on, which does live up to its name but they have pink zebra they have something called sunset horseshoe i knew you'd like that (laughs) they have a color called razzle dazzle did they fit real well did they fit real well they felt that fit they fit perfectly which that's why i said they really live up to their name but they have a bunch of um one of the other things that they have is uh something called the Cheyenne cowhide glove. see i'm going off on a tangent here but it's so hard to find properly colored gloves for fox hunting and they have a lot of really nice um, – well, their, their Cheyenne cowhide glove is nice and their deerskin glove is nice and their goatskin glove is nice. Oh, my God. Did you, and they come in, in like extra small, small, medium, large, but they have a cool way to measure. Did you see how they do it on their website? No, I haven't. If you click on the measurement chart on any of the gloves pages, what you do is you take a dollar bill. And they have a diagram, and you put your hand over the dollar bill. And where your hand goes to in the dollar bill will determine the size, and they have a chart. So, you, like, if my hand my hand goes to, like, uh, past, uh, goes past uh, uh, George Washington, and that means Ooh. I'm like a nine. And it, there's this little chart, and that's how you do it. It's the most clever thing I've ever seen, because everybody has a dollar bill around. So it's a really cool way to measure how, what size glove you take. That's great. Now that's great, actually. <laughs> that's fun. great, and it yeah. goes right from the inside of your. Yeah, it's like the most the, unique yeah. gl- measurement thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Never Find seen. what letter your pinky knuckle covers on the bill and on our chart to determine your size. That's so cool. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> clever. It's they are. Clever. See, they actually think about the stuff before they sell it. You can find them at NobleOutfitters.com. That's where you can find these gloves. I recommend them. They get a full six flakes out of a bale for me. So mm, full six flakes. Right. I, right. uh, you know, other than the flappy part, that's the only thing I found. <laughs> so, that could be my princess and the pea thing, too. I don't know. That's your, but, technical, that's your yes. technical description. The yes, flappy that's part. right. The flappy part. Right. Well, that's it for this week, Helena. We have to wrap this up. We've had a full show today talking about gypsies and endurance riding and training tips and gloves, and uh, we just have to get out of here. we we got another show coming for you next week. Don't forget to download the app. Go to the App Store at iOS or Android and search for Horse Radio Network. The app is free and easy to use, and that's how most people are listening to the show now. We have over 35 countries now. Uh, people have downloaded the app, so for all of you from, from around the world, Welcome. We're glad to have you. And I hope you speak English, because otherwise it's a mighty boring show. So. 
Oh my God, you need to have lunch. For details about today's show, go to stablescoop.com. We always post links, photos, and more information about the guests we have on Stable Scoop. A really great way to stay on top of what's cool, I guess you could say. Yeah, we're not really cool. We're not really. What's new for the Stable Scoop radio show is to follow us on Facebook. Just search for Stable Scoop. We should just say a really cool way to stay on top of what we're interested in. There you go, because we are so not cool. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Many thanks to our sponsors, Equisketch and Sparkle and Boom. We appreciate them supporting the show as they do. And that's about it for this week, Alina. That is plenty, but we will be back next week with more. Until then, happy scooping. Happy scooping.